as we begin the word today, we need to review where we were through Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, two weeks ago, in verses 1 through 20, we read about how Jesus delivered a de demonized man who was rejected and without hope. The word says that he was legion, which means that he had many demons inside him. And the word says that no one could contain him. But when the man, the person saw Jesus, he ran up to Jesus. And Jesus, by his great authority, drove the demons out to where the man was sane and in his right mind. And the demons were put into a herd of pigs and the pigs jumped off the cliff and went for a swim and we find out they don't swim too good, they were drowned. Within that, again, there was a sense of amazement and awe at the great power that Jesus had. It was supernatural power. The second story that pastor brought us through last week was there were two significant healings. The first healing was a woman who was healed of the issue of blood. And she had been bleeding for over 12 years, spent all her money that she had, and nothing helped her. She just steadily got worse. But the scripture says, she said in her heart, if I just touch Jesus, that I'll be healed. And she did exactly that. And the blood was dried up instantly. And Jesus, aware that power went out from himself, turned around and said, who touched me? Of course, the disciples were being the disciples. But the woman confessed all that she had done. And Jesus just told her her faith has made her well and blessed her. We also read about another story that pastor took us through about Jairus's daughter. And Jairus's daughter was very sick. And while Jesus was coming, she died. And they said, why bother the teacher anymore? But Jesus says, no, no, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And of course, again, people laughed at him. But Jairus's heart was, Lord, if you just come, if you just touch my daughter, she'd be healed. He was a man of faith as well. And we see that as Jesus came in, he rose her from the dead. And there was a great celebration. In the stories of Mark chapter 5, we look and see the great power of the living Lord. And these stories were not just isolated to a small area, but people couldn't help shout what Jesus had done and give testimony of the great King. Isn't that the same for us today? You see, when Jesus touches our lives, how great or how small that he's done things, it's for us to declare the goodness of the Lord and to let other people know that our King lives. So the background to all of this, that Jesus' fame has become known to all people and they have heard what he has done and what he has done well. And this week, as we go into Mark chapter six, we see that Jesus leaves Capernaum and he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, by walking, this was about 25 miles. But the word says that he took a boat to go to that place. And he went with his disciples. And as he ministered, his townspeople began to question his authority in the scripture and his power to perform miracles.
The obstacle to their faith was their unbelief or their disbelief. They knew Jesus and his family members, and they took up offense that the carpenter's son could have such great God-given authority. And their offense and unbelief blocked their hearts to see Jesus for who he really was. And often in the human heart, our disbelief and our own way of thinking in life will block us from receiving the Lord. We can doubt him just because of our mindset and their hearts have been set against Jesus. Let's uh, approach the text and read the text that we have. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many listeners were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? And what is the wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter's son, the son of Mary and the brothers of James and Hoses and Judas and Simeon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own household. And he could do no miracles there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief and he was going around the villages teaching. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. Amen. All right, as we look closer at the text, the first thing we see is we want to look at the background information. It says that Jesus had demonstrated, and he had demonstrated his lordship over nature. Remember, Jesus was in the boat with his disciples before he healed the demoniac, and great winds and waves came up and swamped the boats, and professional fishermen was like, we're dying, don't you care? And Jesus spoke to the waves and the winds, and they became silent instantly, and it says, instantly the sea was calm. Great miracle. And then we go on to talk about the deliverance of the demoniac. Nobody could help him. Nobody could bind him. We also see the aspect that Jesus was over illness, that was over death itself. His fame had grown that he was a powerful, miracle-working rabbi. The crowds were amazed at his authority. But notice this. But the people of Nazareth, Jesus was amazed at their disbelief. The communities around were amazed at Jesus' authority, but his own people disbelieved in him. And Jesus was amazed at that. That's a word play in the word. He confronts the misunderstanding, the rejection, and the unbelief of his own community. Jesus' heart was for his community, for his people, for his family. That should always be our heart too. We never write anyone off because we serve a God of miracles. 
The value is that man was made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. Every human being on this planet has value. Even the most rebellious and the hardened by sin, God loves deeply. And the heart of God is for us to love them as well. And we see that in the nature of our Lord. He had struggled with the people of Nazareth through his whole life. And yet he loved his family, his disbelieving family well, and he loved his community well. And so he went to them. In verse one, it says that Jesus went out and came to his hometown. The people of Nazareth had tried to kill him. Now notice when it says that he came to his hometown, it says that he came with his disciples. That's a key element of his visit. He didn't just come to visit family and to hang out with mom and his brothers and sisters for a while. Coming with the disciples meant that he came as a traveling teacher and he came to minister to them in the same way that he had ministered in the surrounding provinces. He was coming to bring the kingdom of God to them as well. So he came as a minister, as a teacher, as a rabbi. And so the first time that Jesus had come to Nazareth, they tried to kill him on his first visit. And so Jesus comes back and he returns to minister to them again with his disciples. And the thought was in his heart was that now, after seeing and hearing and understanding of all that God was doing through his life, the miracles that were being performed, the word that was being spoken that had to be God's word, that now for certain their hearts would be open and they would be more receptive to him. And so he began to minister. Chapter, verse two says, and Jesus began to teach. And he would enter into the synagogue and the tradition of the day was the synagogue leader as visiting rabbis or visiting people would come in. At times they would invite them to speak to the congregation and especially with someone with Jesus's fame would ask them to minister and exposit the scripture to the people of the congregation. And so, of course, as Jesus enters into the synagogue, the synagogue official invites Jesus to come up and share the scripture with them. And so as Jesus begins to speak, the word says that the listeners were astonished. But there's a negative aspect to the astonishment. It wasn't receptive and oh, like, oh my God, Goodness, we've never heard these things before, but it was a negative astonishment. It's like, how can this be? And it says that when they were astonished, the word here says to be struck. It's kind of like having something smack you upside the head is what it's really written is. It says to be struck. They were struck and it meant that they were amazed and they were overwhelmed. And their question was, where did this man get this wisdom and the power to perform these miracles? So again, instead of taking to heart what was being said, what was being taught, they were more caught up with the object of communication and the person was speaking. 
because of their judgmental hearts, they were refusing to respond and to receive. And can we take a comma there? Isn't there time that God uses people to speak? If God can use a donkey, then he definitely can use people like you and me, right? It's the spirit of God within us. And a lot of times we look at the person communicating and we make judgments by the flesh instead of allowing to our hearts to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And they were in that, that their hearts were hard because they knew Jesus and they had already decided that they didn't want to listen to him and hear what he had to say. And we would look at them and say, oh, well, those Jews, you know. But don't we struggle that with that as well? It's such a truth. We need to be open to what the Spirit of God is saying continually. So notice something here. Was they did not deny his wisdom or the miracles, but they rejected the source. That's a powerful statement and something that we need to be careful of. Verse 3 goes on, and they refused to listen to Jesus for two reasons. And the first reason stated was that he was a carpenter. Now, in those days, carpenters were much more than just simply people that worked with wood. They didn't just make dressers and furniture and things like that. They would make things like that. But they could also be a stonemason or one that worked with metals and different things. They were really a tradesman. And at the time, about four miles away from Nazareth was the Decapolis. And in the Decapolis, the Romans were building cities. And really, Nazareth was a bedroom community for the tradesmen and the people that were working and carrying out these projects. And so Jesus had learned the trade by working side by side with his father. And as he worked side by side with his father, he learned the skill of being a tradesman and working with stone and that. And a lot of the work with the stone. So let me say, Jesus was a tough guy. He was a strong guy. He worked through this. And he continued to work to support his family after his father had passed away. But within this aspect, again, after the projects were done in the Decapolis, then the person that was a carpenter was also known within the village of Nazareth and surrounding villages as being the handyman. It was kind of one that would just go from house to house and do the projects that were needed. I know you've never used handyman, but you know, jack of all trades, master of one, none, doesn't know a whole lot, but you know. And basically the viewpoint of the people was that he was a little more than the village idiot. That he was of the lower class the Jews took honor in working with your hands, but they didn't take honor in the caste system that he had, that Jesus was at the bottom of the hill. So as they say, is this not the carpenter? They're looking at his skill set. They're looking at who he was. And it's just like, this does not make sense. He's just simply a working class. And really, he just is a handyman. The second thing that they said, the second reason they wouldn't listen to Jesus was that he was Mary's son. I want you to notice something. This is a derogatory statement. It is not a statement of respect at all. Because in the Jewish community, you would always be called by your father's name. 
And when they called Jesus by his mother's name, they were talking about the fact that he was an illegitimate child, that he was born out of wedlock. And they had never forgotten this and they held this against him. And there was great disrespect that they had for him because of this. And then they go on and talk about that they knew his brothers and his sisters. And as they knew his brothers and their sisters, they're saying they're not very special people at all. They're just kind of a normal working class, everyday family. And so who is Jesus to exalt himself over this family? And who is he to be better than them and better than we as a community? And the word says because of his job, because of his family background, and because he was an illegitimate child, they deemed him unworthy of receiving that which they, he was giving to them. Verse 3 goes on to talk about the mindset of the rejectors. Jesus did not have the proper training as a rabbi. You see, he didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to the official school. He wasn't raised in the priestly caste, and he wasn't a Pharisee. And so again, those were the religious teachers of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees those that were a little bit more of the aristocratic level of the community were the ones that they would want to receive from because they were the educated people. And Jesus didn't fit the criteria. Not only what we have said about him from his origins and his working and being a normal person in a family that had no really prestige in Israel at all, but he had no education and all. So again, this was part of the reason that they took offense at him, that he didn't have the right lineage. So I want you to notice that their physical knowledge of Jesus prevented them from seeing him for who he truly was. And they took offense. They repelled and fully rejected Jesus this is something that is permanent and something that Jesus will no longer minister in Nazareth ever again. They had made a decision that you're not God, that you're not Lord, that you're not the one that we're going to seek. And they shut the door on Jesus. That's so sad, isn't it? May we never do that. Verse 4 goes on and Jesus, again, he just responds to their disbelief. Why would Jesus do this? You know, you'd think after they slammed the door on you and they insulted you, it'd be like in your face, see you later. Not that we'd ever do that, but you know, that's kind of the human mindset. You offend me, I'll offend you, you know. But we find that Jesus doesn't do that. He is always redemptive and he is always reaching out to those that reject him. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that he did. Because the things that I said about Jesus before I became a Christian God, forgive me for those things. And you know, the fact he has. He set us free. Amen, family? So anyways, Jesus responds to their disbelief and he uses a Greek and Hebrew truism to legitimize his teaching and his miracles. Basically, he used a saying that was well known of the day to confront their unbelief and confront the things that they, he was saying, that they were saying to him. And his response is a prophet, one who is inspired teacher of God in word 
and deed. Family, not just word, but in deed. The power, the manifestations of the Spirit confirmed who Jesus was. So as he calls himself a prophet, he is first saying that he is powerful in word and deed, and the source as a prophet was always from God. He says that these people are not without honor, or they are not rejected except in their hometown. Other people listen to them and receive from them, but prophets are not. So again, he's declaring who he is to be, that he is a spokesman for God in word and deed. But then he goes even beyond that as he is comparing himself and reminding Israel of how they responded to the prophets of God. Jesus mentions this later in Scripture. But again, it brings to mind Moses. Remember Moses? Moses was used powerfully to deliver the people of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. Not only in the sense of bringing the ten plagues upon the people of Israel and the death of the firstborn, but also Moses was there at the waters of the Red Sea and divided the waters of the Red Sea and they walked through, the word says, on dry land. And the theory is that the waters were anywhere from 100 feet deep to 900 feet deep. It was not a mud puddle that they walked through, but it was on dry ground with walls of water on both sides. What a powerful miracle. Then it talks about Moses at Meribah where the waters were bitter and he threw in the tree branch and the waters were sweetened. Moses was the one that water came from the rock and watered the people of Israel. Moses was the one that walked up on the mountain of God and as he walked up on the mountain of God, we see that his face, his very configuration was changed and his face shone of the glory of God. And in all of these things and who he was, we find continually that there was a contempt for him and the people of Israel wanted to go back to Egypt. There's a reminder to the people of Nazareth how they respond to prophets. We also are familiar with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the prophet as the southern kingdom was being taken into Babylon, into captivity. And he was prophesying that this would happen and that they were to submit to God's punishment instead of fight. And what they do, they continually abused him, threw him in a pit and did a lot of cruel things to his life. They rejected his word. But again, his word was true. Then we're also reminded of Joseph. Joseph had two prophetic words and the prophetic words were in essence that his family would bow down before him and worship before him. And they're like in your face and they sold him. It's like one of your siblings telling you that never gonna happen, you know. But anyways, they sold him into slavery and he became the Potiphar's slave and then again, because he stood for righteousness, he was cast into jail and he was mistreated. But then God raised him up and showed him to really be a true prophet of God. And so all of these things, one, Jesus is declaring that he is a prophet, that he speaks for God and works miracles for God. Two, he's reminding them of the aspect that Israel always has propensity to ignore and to reject those people that God sends to him. And then three, that the world around Nazareth was accepting what Jesus was doing, but they were rejecting it.
The key is that they were too familiar with Jesus to hear God's voice through him. Again, that's a key. They were too familiar with Jesus to hear God's voice through him. They looked on him. And one of the things that, as I've been thinking through this text, was not only the miracles, not only the powerful teachings, because the word says that those who taught, the rabbis that taught, they didn't teach with authority, but what they did was quote other rabbis and they would quote each other. And so the teaching was just kind of a bunch of quotes from other people. And it was kind of like, okay, a little confusing here. But Jesus taught as the source, as the authority. And it was a powerful teaching. The other thing, again, is we look at the one that stilled the sea, the one that drove the demons out of the demoniac, the ones that healed, the ones that delivered, the ones that provided the bread for over 5,000 men plus women and children. All of these things they rejected in Nazareth. But here's the key that, that caught my heart that's not mentioned in the text. Jesus was sinless. Jesus lived among them for 30 years and he was distinct and he was different as a child, as a young man, as an adult, that he never sinned. In all of these sin things, a sinless, powerful, miracle worker, God anointed teacher, they rejected him because they were familiar with him and rejected his background a sad, sad statement of their lack of faith. A shocking statement. Jesus could do no miracles there. Now let's put this into proper context. He has all authority, all power. He can do whatever he wants. The word says that he holds all things together. There is nothing that Jesus can't do. But you see the context of what's being written here in the scripture. Jesus always had the power to do miracles, but his inability to do miracles was due to the climate of disbelief and contempt. At some times in our lives, we get statements from the medical professionals and they say, you got the C word. It's almost a cuss word. It's a curse. You got cancer. And it's like, throw the dust in the air, pack your bags, get ready to go see Jesus. It's disbelief because we're looking with the natural mind. And they refused. They refused to believe in Jesus. And the emphasis that we find in the book of Mark is Mark's gospel emphasizes the fact that Jesus performed miracles in response to believing faith. In chapter 5, Jairus would not give up. We know who you are. I know that if you just lay your hands on my daughter, even if she's dead, she will rise up. What great faith. Amen? And you have the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years. If I can just get to him and remember there was crowds packed around. This woman had to be mighty, man. She was burrowing through those disciples and the other people. She was going to touch Jesus. There was no no for an answer. And she touched him and she was healed. Jesus responds to faith, family. Always got to remember that. And it's not just the faith of the individual. 
but it's the faith of the community as we bind our hearts together and say, if God be for us, who can be against us? We press through life together as a family. And as we press through in faith, we see the answer from our living God. Amen? We go on in verse 6. Verse 6, Jesus wondered at their unbelief. This is a past continual action. It's he pondered their unbelief in their, his heart. It's like, what is this? This word is only used on two occasions with the person of Jesus. The first is you have the centurion and the centurion doesn't even come to Jesus, but he sends representatives and the representatives come. You know, there's a centurion that loves his servant sick. Come lay your hands on him. And then the centurion, while Jesus is on his ways, sends another set of ambassadors and they say to Jesus, they say, don't bother coming. You're not worthy to come under our house, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And he says, I'm under authority. You have all authority. Just say the word. And it says that Jesus was amazed at his faith. And this is the second part time that this word is used of Jesus. And it says that he wondered, he marveled at, he astonished at their lack of faith and their rejection uh, that they had. It wasn't just unbelief, but it was disbelief. And Jesus expected the people of Nazareth to respond to him in faith. Why did Jesus expect faith? Because on his first visit, he had come to proclaim who he was and declare his mission. Remember Jesus' mission. His mission is to release the captives, to set the oppressed free, and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's his mission. That's his nature. That's who he is. He is a healer, a restorer, a deliverer. He is an awesome king. But as he compared the disbelief of the people that were in Nazareth and his own family to the unbelief of Israel during the time of Elijah's drought, Elijah had prayed for drought in three and a half years that Israel just had a drought. And he said that Elijah was sent not to the children of Israel, but that he was sent to Naaman, and he healed Naaman of leprosy. And then there was another illustration that he used of Elisha, that Elisha didn't provide for anybody except to, for the widow of Zarephath, that he provided for her because of the unbelief of the people of God. And he was saying to them that you don't believe in me, and this is the ministry that I have. And so they brought him and tried to kill him, but he just walked through their midst. You can't kill God. And so with that, Jesus felt that after a period of time, after he had heard of all the miracles and all the powerful things that he had done, now their hearts would be open. They would be receptive to receive from him the truth. But he found the very thing that was opposite, that they rejected him completely. They fully rejected the person and the ministry of Jesus. And that's so sad that he would never come back to his hometown. Even his brothers and his sisters didn't believe in him. But we find later in life that James does, that Jude does, that they respond to him. And we know that Mary always pondered these things in his heart. But the community at large rejected Jesus. May that never happen in our community, in our families, in our own personal lives. Amen. I didn't hear you on that one. Amen.
are application points. First application point. Evaluate people properly. Not by what we see on the outside or know about them, but on how God anoints them and uses their lives. In other words, not by human standards, but by the spiritual fruit. And family, I've said it earlier today, but here's the key of honoring all people. God loves people. That should be a comma. There's only one thing that's redeemable in this whole world. All of this stuff is going to burn up. Glory to God. <laughs> we have a kingdom that's coming that is made with gold that's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. There is nothing that compares on this ball called earth compared to that. So the only thing of redeemable value on this earth is people. We need to remember that. But we also need to remember the fact that God has created mankind in his image and likeness. There always is value in every human being, no matter how corrupt they are, that the living God can set them free and break the chains of bondage in their life. And often we judge people by what we see on the outside. And I'm so glad there was a small church that did not judge me on the outside. I had holy jeans that you wore to church. You wear your best, you know, holy jeans, you know. And I wore stained beer t-shirts to church. But you see, I met Jesus in a Calvary chapel. They suckered me into a rock concert. Sucker. They saw me come into this building, turn the heat up. Uh-oh, there it is. Man, I had frizzed out hair, frizzed out beard. I was wild from the drugs and stuff that I was on. Nobody should have given me the time of day, but Jesus did. And there was a loving group of people that prayed for me, and there was people that ministered Jesus to me. And it changed my heart and life. We live in a society that judges, that writes people off, but God does not judge and write people off. And I feel like the Scripture here is just telling us to evaluate people properly and to view people with the eyes of God. Not what we see on the outside, but what is the Spirit of God within them. The second application point that I have is see Jesus for who he really is. As the powerful, glorified Son of God who has all power and speaks the word of truth. We read, I just am reading in the book of Revelation again right now, and I just read through the Apostle John's confrontation with the person of Jesus. See, John was the one that leaned up against Jesus in the meals. John was the one that leaned over and said, who's the one that's betraying you? The word says that he was John the beloved, that he knew Jesus well. And John was one of them that saw the resurrected Lord. He knew Jesus, the resurrected king. But something changed when he saw the glorified Lord. The word says that he fell down at his feet. And I was reading the description of who Jesus really is. He's not just a man. He's not just my friend. He's not just my brother. The scripture says that he is all of that. But he is God, the very God, all-powerful and almighty and a lot of times we view God in the wrong way. We become familiar with the person of Jesus and who he is instead of seeing him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our perspective of who Jesus is has to change. 
And as I read the book of John, I'm like, the revelation of John, I want to see that. I want to see your throne. I want to see you for who you truly are. Instead of just the perspective of the sweet, the kind, the merciful, the loving Jesus, the friend of Jesus that walked with his disciples. He is a powerful king. And as we have a proper perspective of who he is, we'll never forsake him. We'll never walk away. It produces worship. We fall on our face with John and declare that you are God and I am not God. We need to have a proper perspective of who the Lord Jesus is and see him for who he really is. Because if we become too familiar with him, familiarity breeds disbelief and limits what we'll receive from him. Isn't that a good word? I think all of us fight the familiarity of Jesus. It's day-to-day -day life. We become familiar with our family, familiar with our friends, familiar with our jobs, and we just go through things automatically. And we can approach our faith even in the same way. It's just automatic. Yep, Jesus singing songs to Jesus. Okay, hearing the word from Jesus. But the awe of the presence of God the seeing the miracle working powerful God that still performs miracles today that changes and ignites our hearts and draws him to it. May the Lord give us a fresh vision of who he is. The third application point I have is determine how you will, resp how you will respond to Jesus's miracles. So many times we're skeptical and uncomfortable with the supernatural. I tell people that when I've been in various places that <clears throat> we had a girl that literally couldn't walk. They just carried her in. Doctors could do nothing for her. This was in Niger. And we like last minute thought Dr. Dan was there, you know. Oh, we should pray. <laughs> it's like we were looking at it too medically. And we're like, oh, we should pray. God raised her up. That young woman went out dancing. That woman went out singing. That woman went out eating and drinking, which she couldn't do. And I tell people that, and they're like, right. You see, we live in a society of disbelief. And we refuse and we reject miracles because we're so caught up in science, medical knowledge, and that which is possible and that which is not. But it really hinders and hinges on the fact of who our God is. You see, Nazareth rejected, you know, you can't be a miracle worker. We know who you are. We know how life works. And they evaluated God by what they saw to be true. Instead of seeing that which is true that dictates how life is, we look that we serve a supernatural God. You explain to me how the sun stopped. The sun stops, gravity moves, we are off this planet. We're floating away in space. But the word says that the sun stopped. The word says that the waters were divided. The word says the walls of Jericho fell down. You see, that's the God that we serve. He's a miracle working God. But we cannot become familiar or we cannot reject miracles. We need to expect the salvation, the intervention of our God because that's the nature of he is, who he is. He's a God that intervenes. He's a God that does the impossible. There is nothing possible to, impossible for him to do. Cancer is nothing. Death is nothing. If he can raise the dead, he can heal cancer and every other disease that's common to man. The fact is, is how do we see him and know him? 
are we skeptical and uncomfortable with the supernatural? It's supernatural. You should be, but you should be inviting it into your life as well. Or do we embrace it? Do we seek it? Do we minister to it? People come up, I'm sick, I'm dying. Oh, no, you ain't because we know Jesus. I'm serious, man. He's the rock. It's our heart set. We need to expect miracles. In family, we are a church that says, come Holy Spirit. And we are a church that believes in miracles and the power and the intervention of God. May we not block our hearts from receiving those things. The last application point that we have is the point that says refuse to disbelieve. Refuse to disbelieve. That's not only in the essence of faith, but of what we've talked about of not being familiar with the Lord, of expecting miracles and breakthrough from our God. Refuse to disbelieve. People are saying, well, God loves the person sitting next to me, but I'm not so sure about me. That's such a lie. Refuse to disbelieve. Allow faith to enter our hearts. The word says, if God before me, who can be against me? He loves all of us equally. And you see, the thing that we have to fight is disbelief. And the world all around us, you notice we've got all these gods that people are talking about, but they don't want to talk about the name of Jesus because it's the name of Jesus that saves. It's the name of Jesus that heals. It's the name of Jesus that delivers. And we need to fight the spirit of disbelief and say, I will believe. There's times, I don't know about you, pray for my soul, but there's times I'll be in worship and it's like, do you really believe this? And I'm like, shut your mouth, zip it. And I go and I start confessing scripture. This is what I believe. You cannot take, you cannot have my salvation. And I don't care if the person of Jesus confronts what my image of God is or not. Because he should be well beyond all that I ask, all that I know or think. Disbelief is that which destroys faith. You see, Jesus is still the Lord who saves, who heals, who delivers, provides for, and empowers us. And I don't care what's going on in the world today with COVID, with wars, rumors of wars, whatever sickness is coming on. The word says that he is a God that delivers. He is a God that saves. His kingdom will come. His will will be done. And it's in that that the world is trying to pressure us and say, is God true? Is his word true? And we as a people, the foundation of our heart is to say, I believe and I trust my God. He is my deliverer, my savior, and my Lord. And everything that happens, he is a faithful redeemer. Amen. So as we come today, we declare first that we are a people that refuse to disbelieve. The second thing that we've declared is that we determine that we will respond to the miracles of God, expecting the miracles of God, believing in the miracles of God. We will not be skeptics, but we will be people full of faith and see what God truly does. The third thing that we have said, that we see Jesus for who he really is, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that we are not growing familiar with him, but we are astounded with the glory and the presence of who he is. And lastly, we have said, we will evaluate people properly for who they truly are. Amen, family? Will you stand with me? Today, as we close our service, if you need a miracle, you need a touch from the Lord. 
the Lord answers believing prayer. If you've never met Jesus or you've been skeptical or you've turned your back on him, today is the day of salvation, the day to rededicate yourself and say that you are my King and my Lord. He is the one that forgives. Today, if there's a day that you just need more revelation from the Lord, receive that from him today. Respond to the Lord in the way that he's calling you. But I think the key response in our heart here is to see Jesus for who he is, to refuse to become familiar with him and to expect more from him. Amen. Let's press on to the mark of the high calling that we have in him. And Jesus, today, we as a family commit ourselves to be a people of faith, to commit ourselves to be a people that know you, that know your word and receive your word to ourselves. Today, that we are a people that move and are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we are a people, Lord, that are full of the Holy Spirit, a people that walk in the miracles of our God. You are a miraculous Lord. And Lord, today, that we are a people that love people as you love people. Lord, will you perform your work in each of our hearts and our lives? Will you draw us ever closer to seeing you for who you are? And Lord, will you release a fresh faith and a fresh fire in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.